If you have even the smallest desire to go, I say just go for it. It is so worth it in the end. You might be scared about leaving your kids or whatever you might leave behind, but it's an amazing trip. Just go for it. All right. Uh, for the record, um, uh, where's Ray at? Where's Ray sitting? He was sitting there. Yeah, when, whenever I see Ray, I say, I'm not going to mess with that. Not, not because he's the Holy Spirit, but because he's big. Um, I just know my limits. Um, uh, if you have your notes, uh, grab them real quick, take a look at them. Uh, they are a little intimidating, honestly. There's a lot of blanks there. And for some people, the blanks, uh, you're super excited. Um, for other people, this will give you hives and uh, stress you out a little bit. But uh, here's how this is going to go. Uh, the majority of the blanks are going to be at the end of my mes- message. Uh, there, it's really more informational for you as you step into uh, the practice of fasting and uh, gives you some insight and some perspective on that. So I'll go through all the blanks and, and make sure that you get all of those filled out. Um, but just wanted to let you know that that's going to be towards the end. We're in a series uh, for 21 days uh, called Pray, Fast, and Give, and last week we handed out these books uh, called 21 Days of Breakthrough Prayer. Uh, If you did not get one of these, we have some available at the welcome counter. We'd love for you to pick one up. Uh, As a church, we are asking everyone to kind of go through this uh, book together and be in unity and agreement as we pray through these next 21 days. Uh, I I told for service, this was a little bit of a risk because Kelly and I found this online. Uh, It wasn't referred to us necessarily, and so we found it online. We looked at the table of contents. We looked at a couple pages of it and thought, I hope this is good, and, uh, and then we ordered it, and, uh, and then we handed it out to you, and then we prayed, I hope this is really good, um, and as I've been going through it, it's actually really, really good, uh, and I don't know if you guys have had a chance to, to read through some of it, we're in day seven, uh, but a couple of the weeks have just really, really stood out to me and, uh, and really captured my heart. Um, today's uh, uh, devotional is on the secret place, on finding that time where you're spending time with the Lord, being in, uh, in prayer uh, with him. So uh, be reading that. If you didn't get one, uh, you can grab one at the welcome counter. We have uh, quite a few more available for you. And um, yeah, and so last week we talked about prayer. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about giving. Uh, we're going to be talking about the principle of the tithe. Uh, and as I said last week, that's a little bit of like, you know, pastor uh, uh, dumbing up uh, by telling your congregation that you're going to be speaking about money and giving and all of those things. But uh, I just really believe uh, that if it's based out of the, the scriptural principle, it ought to be something that we're learning about and, and growing into. Uh, and this isn't necessarily going to be a plea for money for anything we uh, we're in a situation right now where we're financially doing well, and, uh, and so we, we, this isn't about need. This is about what is God saying to us as individuals in regard to our money, and uh, so I hope that you'll join us next week. Uh, and then today, we're going to talk about fasting, and fasting is one of those topics that's uh, a little confusing to some people. They uh, maybe hear about it. Uh, they don't step into the practice of fasting. Uh, when they find out what fasting is, they're like, yeah, that's not for me. Uh, and so they don't ever do it. And, and, and a lot of times it's based out of some confusion as to, to what, what it really uh, means to fast. 
Uh, the scripture that I want us to begin with is from Matthew chapter 9, verse 14 through 15. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Uh, it, let, me ref- let me read that again and actually use the punctuation that's there. Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? It's a question. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them. And then those last few words are the words that I want us to take a look at. And then they shall fast. And then they will fast. So it's a, it's a reminder to us that in the situation with the disciples, they've got Jesus. He's there. He's present. The bridegroom is with them. And, and yet Jesus recognizes that there's going to come a time in which he's going to leave. And it is at that point that they will fast. It's in that stage, it's in that season that then they will fast because they will want to step into more of the presence of God. They'll want to to step closer into their relationship with God because Jesus is now not present. This morning I want to talk about the principle of fasting in regard or by setting it up with a couple different stories that may seem somewhat unrelated. At least one of them seems unrelated to fasting. The second one is completely about fasting. Uh, but then I want to kind of circle back around. I, th- I think it'll, it'll make some sense as to, as to why I'm giving you these stories. The first one's from Exodus chapter 17. This is the story where uh, there's a battle that's being fought, this war that's being waged and, or waged? Yeah, waged, right? Yeah, okay. It didn't sound right for some reason. I wanted to say raged. I don't know why, but. Exodus chapter 17, 11 through 13. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. Whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. So this is a story, and, and if you've been in, uh, around churchdom or Christianity or if you've read the Bible much, you've probably read this story or heard about this story where uh, you've got Moses up on this mountain and, or up on this hillside, and there's a battle being waged by Joshua down there. And, and as long as Moses has his hands up, they're winning, just as the Scripture says but he's older and he's getting tired and so his hands are coming down and and so it's like when the hands are coming down, it's like now all of a sudden there's a shift that takes place and now all of a sudden the the tides are turning against them. And so Aaron and her come alongside and they're like, we gotta do something about this so we gotta help him get get his hands up there and there's there's this whole illustration of not doing life alone and not facing battles by yourself and, and having friends alongside you to help hold your hands up. And, uh, and that's a message for a, different, for a different time. This message is really about the actual action of raising your hands. And, and in this case, in Moses raising his hands and something in the spiritual realm taking place. Something of the supernatural that's happening. It's a, it's a cause and effect that there is, is something that's happening at the point at which he's raising his hands. I believe that there's this relationship between the physical action of Moses raising his hand and the spiritual reality that's taking place. I want us to think about that for a moment. I want us to think that 
that as we sing songs of, uh, we sing these worship songs and, and at times I'll invite us to raise our hands. In, in the past, I've even said, hey, listen, there's, there's nothing really all, of the, all that mystical or magical about raising your hands. And, uh, and I have to take that back. I, I think that's actually wrong. I think there actually is something of the action that's expressed in the raising up of our hands that moves the heavens. So I apologize for giving you misinformation. I've now given you the true information. I want us to shift to another uh, story, and then we're going to come back and kind of relate both of these to the action uh, of Moses raising his hands. It's from Daniel chapter 10. This is a a really common passage of scripture and and story about fasting, Uh, but I want to read it to you, and I want to read it to you from a perspective that maybe is a little bit different. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called uh, Belteshazzar, I think. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Some people have asked me, well, what do you fast? And I just tell them I fast lotions. I don't, I don't, I'm fasting my hand lotion. It's it's hard. It's it's a tough, it's a tough season. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz, uh, and there, uh, from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his eyes, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw this vision, but those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So they saw there was something that scared them that caused them to flee. So there there was at least some effect of what Daniel was was envisioning or seeing uh, that scared the people that were with him. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. I think it's funny. It says, I fell into a deep sleep. I think he passed out. That's really what that means. My face to the ground. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. I want you to see this, this comparison, this kind of cause and effect that's taking place here, because it's, it's separated, and yet it, it definitely is there. Daniel is saying, I ate no desirable food. Like I, I, I stepped into this season of my life where I'm, I'm withholding the desirable food, the things that, that are, are available to me. There was nothing wrong with food. There, in fact, it was very desirable. I, I'm abstaining from those things. And then there's this statement. It's actually the same statement. Uh, if you look in the, uh, in the Hebrew of it, it's the, uh, the word desirable is the same as esteemed. It, it, some translations are different. Some say beloved. That Daniel now is beloved. He's now esteemed. It's like, well, was Daniel not 
beloved or esteemed before that? Did he have to fast in order to be beloved and esteemed? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but there's something that's, uh, that takes place. There's a difference between the love of God and the favor of God. That, that the love of God, we, we just got done singing about the love of God, right? And, uh, and, and whether you like the, the song or not like the song, there's this picture of God's love absolutely pursuing you. That nothing you're going to do or nothing that you're going to say is going to change the love that God has for your life. He loves you now as much as he loved you when you were born, and he will always love you. That his love never changes. His love never fails. It never fades from your life. He loves you. We're clear on that, right? Okay, so there is, though, a difference between favor Favor is given as a gift, it's, and really favor is increased by the stewardship of which we take care of that favor. Increased favor comes with the proper use of favor. I'm going to set aside all that, would normally be, uh, that I would normally be blessed with, Daniel's saying, And I'm going to seek the Lord. And the Lord's response to him is, O Daniel, man greatly beloved. O Daniel, who is highly esteemed. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. So Daniel says, I'm going to to set aside all that's desirable, and I'm going to seek the Lord. And the Lord's response was this increased favor in his life. There are these critical moments where there is a partnership with heaven. There's this, these moments in which we, there is an action that takes place where all of a sudden heaven is unleashed. There's something that God recognizes about the physical response, the external obedience, the, the raising of our hands, the, the bowing of our knees. Here's the challenge, though, right? I mean, for some, it would be horrible. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a situation where you, you this could just be my judgment, right, coming out a little bit, and so uh, if it is, I apologize, but, but maybe you can identify with this, where you've been in circumstances where, um, let's just say the outward expression really is about the individual and not really something that, uh, is, uh, is a genuine uh, of the heart type of thing. But something that the Lord's challenging me on in this capacity is that I think I have this kind of aversion to people who just want to make a show about something so much to the point that I don't do anything. And I think it's equally as horrible as someone who's making a show out of something, it's equally as horrible to withhold the action and to withhold something of of an expression of our God. I think it's equally as bad. Daniel chose to set what was Set aside what was desirable. He was mourning and fasting and praying, and something happened where the favor of God in his life increased. And the Lord looked at him, and he says that he's desirable. Now, I want us to, I want us to think about this 
for a second. I, I think that there is this kind of this cultural thing that's taking place, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or in Western Christianity, that there's, there's this... There's this concept or this idea that would say that our faith, our relationship with God is so private and so personal that, that I'm not going to do anything to, uh, to express it. Right? In some ways, maybe it's out of fear or maybe it's out of insecurity, whatever the case. But there's something, and I, I hear it at times where it's like, well, I don't really, I don't really pray out loud. That's, it's personal and it's, it's private. I don't, I don't, it, here, here's where, what it boils down to is it boils down to feeling, right? Well, um, I feel humble, uh, and so I don't really need to actually get on my knees in humility. I, I feel happy. I don't have to dance. I don't have to show my happiness. I don't, I don't have to do that because I, I, I feel it. I, I feel faithful, so I don't have to actually step out in risk. And, and as long as we are feeling something, there doesn't have to be this outward expression of it. There doesn't have to be an action associated with that feeling. And I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous because I think there's something of the supernatural that takes place when we step into God's presence and when we actually lift our hands. That when we, that when we step into God's presence and we actually get down on our knees, that there's something that takes place in the heavens that breaks through. But if all we ever do is just walk through this world saying, well, I, f- I feel this way, so it's okay, but never actually express that, I think that would be damaging. I think we would be selling ourselves short in our relationship with God. Let's go on. We'll, I'll read, reread verse 11 and, and then the rest of the story. He said, Daniel, who you are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued, don't be afraid, Daniel. Yeah, right. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Let me just paint this picture for you because this is one of the clearest pictures of spiritual warfare that we see in Scripture. It's one of the clearest pictures of the persistent prayer of a person where you've got a guy who enters into this fast. Right? We even have a fast called the Daniel fast. It's 21 days, right? So for 21 days, he's withholding everything that's good, which the implication there, by the way, is that what he was eating is not good, which is vegetables and fruit. <laughs> and certainly romaine lettuce was a part of that, obviously, because of... So he's implying that that, that that stuff is not good, but what's desirable is meat and bread and wine. And we all would say amen to that. Well, most of us would say it. There might be a few vegetarians here that would not say that. He goes into this fast and he's praying and he's mourning and he's fasting and contending for a move of God. And at the moment that he begins praying, his prayers are heard. 
And a messenger is sent, an angel is sent to deliver a message to Daniel. And along the way, the the messenger, the angel, gets caught up with the king of Persia. Now, we're not talking about an actual physical king of Persia. That is in reference to a demonic force that was over that land. We're talking about a spiritual warfare that's taking place in the heavenlies. That this messenger of God is coming and is intercepted by this demonic force that's here. And now all of a sudden he's held up from bringing the message. So much so that he's got to get back up. And Michael, another angel, archangel, comes and brings relief and backup to this battle that's being waged. And now it frees him up to make it to Daniel to give him the message that he was intended to deliver. 21 days after the initial part of praying. Really, 24, I think it says in the 24th day. So it, here is this perfect, beautiful picture of persistent prayer. What happens if Daniel just stops praying, stops fasting, stops contending for God to do something? What if he gives up on the prayer? And how many of us have ever been in a time where we pray for something, God doesn't answer it, and so we give up on it? We just stop. It's like, oh, obviously God doesn't want to answer that. But maybe there's something in the spiritual realm, a battle that's being waged that we know nothing about that's keeping the message from being delivered to us. I wonder if, if that battle was, took place longer than that, would we not have a, a Daniel fast of 21 days? Would we have a Daniel fast of 40 days? Would we have a Daniel fast of 80 days? Because my guess is that Daniel would have continued to contend and continued to fast and continued to pray until that message came. As instant gratification people, well, let me phrase that. As an instant gratification person, I tend to want immediate results and immediate answers. And sometimes in the spiritual realm, it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes there's the persistent prayer. Sometimes there's the persistent fasting that needs to take place. When we fast, there is an action that's taking place. A a, a picture of, of raising our hands and seeing the battle won. That when we fast, there's something that moves heaven to respond. That's why we fast. So let's take a look at your notes. I'll give you some information on what fasting is, what are the guidelines, when do we fast, how long do we fast, why do, what do we fast for, and then I'll tie it up with a nice little ribbon of a story at the end. What are the guidelines? Well, first of all, it needs to be done in humility and secrecy. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, it says, When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. You know these people. I, I mean, it's not just in the Bible times. It's like people who are going through a fast are like, Oh, I hate my life. I'm fasting. I'm so hungry. And they're like, they're trying to get sympathy from the whole world that they're fasting. 
Uh, and that's really not what it's about. It's almost, it's almost to the uh, kind of the same level as someone that says, oh, look, look at how much money I'm giving to God. And there's this, there's this pridefulness and this sense of like, I want you to see how spiritual I am because I'm doing this. Now, the only exception to this is like in a corporate fast, like as a church, if we were to corporately say, hey, for the next week, we're going to fast together and we're going to pray and contend because we want to say breakthrough in this thing, like that would be different than we would know. Everybody's fasting, Right. But in the case of your personal life, if you're going to enter into a fast, it really should be done in humility and in secrecy. Because it goes on in verse 18, and it says, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Fasting should be done, uh, the, kind of a, a general a guideline for it is that it should be done in relation to prayer and reading the word. Uh, I didn't actually go through every in, uh, instance of the word fasting in scripture, but I can say to you somewhat confidently that the majority of the time where the word fasting exists, prayer is present. So, so fasting and prayer are, I mean, without prayer, Fasting is a diet, and a diet is not spiritual. I'm going to talk about that in a second. It can either be absolute or partial. In the case of Ezra, Ezra didn't eat bread or drink water during his fast, but in the case of Daniel, as I said a second ago, Daniel did uh, have vegetables and fruit, but he didn't eat uh, bread, meat, or wine, right? And uh, I, I've done a Daniel fast, and it's 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 awful. It's bad. I don't I don't like it. Here's here's the reason why, and and I think Jeremy will identify with this. Maybe um, is salad or or vegetables. That's like a um, that's like a warming up thing. Like you're you're stretching your stomach in order to receive the protein, the meat. And so when you're eating vegetables or a salad, and then you don't follow it up with meat, your stomach's going, what's the matter with you? Why are you not giving, what what's the point of this? Why, why, did you, why did you wake me up? Why did you stretch me out? Like, this is ridiculous. And so there's this, there's this, this point at which you're like, I, I, I think it would be easier not to eat anything than to eat salad and then not follow it up with a steak. It's why when you go to Saltgrass, they give you a little, a little Caesar salad. You don't want the Caesar salad, but it's a, it's a necessary thing in order to eat the steak, right? That's just free advice for you. And if you've never had a Caesar salad before a steak, you might change your life. What do, we, what do we fast? Well, typically a fast consists of the elimination of food or a type of food for a period of time. Some people fast hobbies, they fast social media, they fast entertainment, anything that is the pleasures of life, they, uh, they could, you can fast that. Uh, here's what I would say about that if you're like me. Uh, I struggle the most fasting food. I like food, uh, I I have a fairly high metabolism. It's getting slower as I get older. But uh, I, I struggle with food. And so what my tendency is to say, I'll just, I'm going to, this 21 days, I'm going to fast social media. I'll be off social media. 
that's not really a fast for me. That's like freedom. That's like heaven, right? I mean, I'm on social media. I'm on it all the time, and I probably should disconnect at times, but that ain't difficult. What's difficult is when I start fasting food. And so for me, I think anything that is challenging for me or anything that would be difficult to give up, that probably ought to be the thing that I fast. Your situation is certainly your situation. Is fasting spiritual? Well, this might be a little bit of a surprise to some of you, but the truth is is that you don't actually have to fast. Fasting is not a salvation issue. you, you, You don't... You, don't, you could never fast a day in your life, as a, in your Christian life, and still spend eternity in heaven, right? This isn't, a, this isn't hey, if, if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going if you're, if you're to enjoy the, the, the beauties of heaven, you've got to be a faster. That's, that doesn't say that in Scripture. There, there's never a mandate that you have to do this in order to be saved. I just want to make sure we're very clear on that. My wife grew up in a... In a a really legalistic culture that would say you fast kind of as a punishment for the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross. That it's like you need to suffer a little bit in order to have a glimpse of the suffering of Christ. And I would just say that's not true. That's bad theology. And here's why. Because your salvation, what Jesus did on the cross for you, was absolutely free. It was a free gift. Your salvation is a free gift from God. We are saved by grace through faith, not of anything that we do, including fasting, right? Not by works, so that no one can boast, well, I'm an amazing faster, so I'm gonna have, you know, an awesome mansion in heaven. Um, no, it's, that's just simply not true. And so I want us to understand what we're talking about is not salvation-based. But what we are talking about is the supernatural movement of God through fasting. Only fasting that is done with the right motive, out of the heart action, then it becomes spiritual. As I said, there is no spiritual value in just being hungry. There's no spiritual value in dieting. You don't get to go into the new year, and, and, this, and I've been guilty of this, by the way. You don't get to go into the new year, feel a little bit guilty about how much you indulge over the holidays, and think, I need to probably do the whole 30. Uh, and since I'm going to do the whole 30 anyways, I'll just call it a fast. I'll just say, oh, yeah, I'm fasting. You know, it, it, it doesn't work. No, you can fast by doing the whole 30. You can fast by doing whatever, but... But don't do whatever and then call it fasting because that's not a heart issue. All you're doing is dieting. All you're doing is change, changing your lifestyle. If you want to step into fasting, it's a heart issue, not a diet issue. Although the Bible teaches to abstain from some food, it also teaches us not to test God. It's 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, and I threw this in there because it's not totally directly related to fasting, but... It says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience, consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. I love this picture, like just right after them. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. And in other words, it's, yeah, 
there are some foods that maybe you can step away from, but if we ever get into a situation where people are telling you what you can and can't have that are from God, that, that's, that's not healthy, that's wrong, right? This is between you and the Lord. This is what you need to do. Somebody comes and tell me that I can't have bacon, I'm gonna tell them that they're a hypocritical liar and your conscience has been seared with a hot iron. <laughs> Just kidding. So how long should I fast? Well, I'll give you some examples. Just write these down real quickly and, uh, that we can find in Scripture. We see fasts of one night, one day, three days and nights, 14 days, 21 days, 40 days. We see all uh, different examples of each of those. So what are we fasting for? Well, when we step into the action of fasting, the principle of fasting, Scripture gives us different examples of what we would be fasting for. Intercession for the people of God. That would be one of the things that we fast for. We fast for uh, the humbling and chastening of oneself, right? Seeking the Lord and his way. We fast for that. We fast for repentance and confession. That's not discipline. That's not, that's not somebody saying, oh, you've got to pay for your sin. It's just a sense of, my goodness, I have found myself outside of what God's plan is for my life. I need to just focus on him and recalibrate my life and step into a time of fasting and prayer for repentance and confession, receiving healing. If you're looking for healing in your life, physical healing, emotional, spiritual healing in your life or in the life of someone else, how many of you know someone who needs healing in their body? Maybe it's an opportunity for you to fast and pray for them. Preparation to receive a word from God. Seeking assistance in a time of fear. If you're living in a season of anxiousness and fearfulness, maybe fasting and prayer is a step for you to walk into. Lacking material provision when we're in need is often a time for us to step into a time of fasting. There's another one that's not in that list that I, I stumbled across in, in studying this week in Matthew, where the disciples are uh, trying to cast out a demon out of a young man. And um, as they're doing this, they're not able to do it. It doesn't, doesn't take place. And Jesus comes along and he says to the disciples, you need to understand that there are some things that can only take place through prayer and fasting. And the young man is delivered. He is freed from, from demonic possession, oppression in that situation. And I just, I, I, I couldn't help but, but let you know about that because I, I wonder how many of us feel like we are in the midst of just this battle, this struggle, this demonic that's taking place and it's not that you're demonic but there's just something of a spiritual bondage and oppression that's taking place and it may it may mean that your your way out your door that you need to walk through is some, a time of prayer and fasting for that David I think his name, his middle name is Yonggi, or his, his first last name. David Yonggi Cho, pastor is one of the largest churches in the world since South Korea. It's um, believed to be one of the largest in history. It's over 800,000 now, at least in 2007 it was. It could be bigger than that now. I don't even know how you 
count that. It's more of a census, I think. Um, he and his staff have this belief in the power of prayer and fasting that they rarely, if ever, do any sort of pastoral counseling. They Instead, when someone comes to them with a problem, with a great problem or an urgent need, what their standard response is, well, go to Prayer Mountain and pray and fast for three days and then come back. And if they come back and the need is unmet or the circumstance is unmet, the problem is still there, then they say, okay, now we want you to go fast and pray for a week and then 14 days and then 40 days. Because they believe or they don't believe that it's possible that any person would ever return to them again with the problem unmet through prayer and fasting. Just as a public service announcement, I wanted to inform you about how we're going to be doing our counseling moving forward. (laughs) I'm mostly kidding, but you can certainly expect that if you come for pastoral counseling, it's going to at least be met with, well, have you prayed and fasted? And we could say, well, that doesn't seem very caring. It may be the most caring thing that we could help you with. Prayer and fasting. It changes things. It moves things. Essentially, what we're saying when we fast is that we're seeking God as the most important thing in our life. More important than our daily routine, more important than the food that we have to gather for that day, more important for any pleasure of this life, anything that even is a right of ours that we are saying, God, you are more important than anything. That we have a passion for God that supersedes everything else. Listen, we're not trying to twist God's arm, but it's this this genuine display of the earnestness of our desire. And it requires a step. It requires action. You don't have to fast. Nobody's going to judge you if you don't. But if you have something in your life, if you know of something that's going on and you want to see breakthrough in that, could I invite you to step into fasting and praying? And I don't know what that answer, when that answer will come. I don't know what supernatural forces are at work in the midst of that battle. But I do know this. God's will is God's will all the time. It doesn't change. But stepping into fasting and praying releases the will of God. Fasting is significant, but I think it's overlooked. I think it gets lost in the sense of just something that some people do who are really committed. I think maybe God wants to challenge us to be a people when we face circumstances to step into it and fast and pray. Let's let's pray. Father, this is is one of those those challenging ones. This is a a topic that can be... um, it can, it can be used in, in some legalistic ways. It can be used in some dogmatic ways. And certainly not our heart this morning. But God, I would say that my heart is, is to encourage and to challenge us to, to express what it is that's going on in our heart.
to step into these seasons of fasting and praying, to, to lift our hands to you and say, God, would you fight this battle? Would you move and work in this circumstance? Would you bring healing into this person's life? Would you release that? God, I don't have all the answers, but I, I love the, the picture of the persistent prayer. And God, let us be a people who persistently pursue your will, consistently pursue your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. For those of you who are here this morning who don't have a relationship with God, stepping into his presence, it's it really that picture of, that Jeremy gave us this morning of of being over here and God being here, this distance that separates us. We can find ourselves distant in the midst of having a relationship with God, but if you've never experienced a relationship with God, then certainly there is distance. And this morning, I just want to invite you to step into relationship with him, step into his presence. That maybe you've been kind of white-knuckling your life and trying to make it work in your ways, in your will. And maybe this is a season and a realization that, that it, this isn't, you're not going to be able to do it. And instead, you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to give your life over to him and say, God, you be leader of my life. And if that's you, we want to pray with you. We will have some, some people available for prayer towards the, the last song and we want you to go and get prayer for them and share with them that maybe you want to enter into a relationship with God. If, if that's uncomfortable for you, you can mark it on your card and we'll reach out to you this week and get you some, some tools to step into that. But don't wait. Don't wait. It's, it's, the, it's, the most, it's the safest place. It's not the easiest place, but it's safe. And as Jeremy said, all of a sudden your perspective is changed because now you're focused on him and not yourself. Amen. Well, ushers, go ahead and come. We're going to receive our offerings this morning, our tithes and offerings. And if you want to get those ready, I'm going to pray for, for this. And then if you filled out your card, you can drop your card in the basket as it goes by. And then we're going to close our time out. Father, uh, we, we give. We, we tithe, we give our offerings. Uh, as I say, almost, almost redundantly every week, I, I say it as a, as a sacrifice of our praise. It is an act of worship. It is a principle in which we are saying, you have all of us. That, that nothing owns us, nothing controls us, nothing is more important than you are. It's a, it's a lordship issue. And so, God, as we give, we give with the recognition that not even our finances control us, that you have complete and total control over our lives. And then, Lord, we just we pray for more, more of what you have been doing and even abundantly more than we could ever dream or imagine in lives being changed, people stepping into more of the purpose of what you've called them to do, and God, that we would see people firmly rooted in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. After the basket goes by, I invite you to stand. We're going to close our time out with, 
with one last song and and uh, just as you're as you're singing as you're worshiping and you're you're proclaiming these words can I can I just invite you to ask the Lord what what's an area in which I need to step into maybe for some of you you've never raised your hands in worship before and could I just invite you to do that today nobody's judging anything around here. Nobody's looking around and everybody's mind their own business, right? But, but that maybe for you, the, just the thought of it kind of is, is bring some anxiousness. And could I just invite you to, to, to lift your hands to the Lord that there's something that is released in the heavens when you say, God, I surrender to you. Maybe it's a posture of kneeling before the Lord and humbling yourself before God. Maybe it's stepping out of your, your, your seats and your row and going and getting prayer at the sides of the sanctuary. There's something powerful that takes place where two or more are gathered, where, where somebody can agree with you in prayer. There's something that takes place in that moment of breakthrough. And so I, I want us, as we sing this song, as we, as we proclaim freedom and deliverance in our lives, that we're not bound any longer by uh, the chains of our past, but that we would actually begin to step into more of what God has for us and that we would experience um, more breakthrough in, in, the, in, in the spiritual. Can we do that? Let's sing. is safe within your name this we know this we know you promise never to forsake what you begin you will sustain this we know this we know Yeah.
let's just declare this one voice Jesus name will break every stronghold freedom is ours when we call his name Jesus Father, we, we close our time out uh, today uh, with those words on our lips that, uh, that we're going to call upon you, uh, that as we, we step into more of a relationship with you, as we step into your presence, God, that, uh, that we get to call upon you, that you're going to fight our battles, that you're going to break every chain, and we want to believe that. We do believe that. Uh, God, for every person in this room that needs healing, God, I pray for healing in their body right now. In Jesus' name.